1: America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of PR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz.
2: Good morning, everybody, on this wonderful Thursday, end of May. We're here today by popular demand with Ben Keeps, our cloud evangelist, and I like to call this show, which will be ongoing in Stars of PR 2.0, Keeps in the Clouds. And Ben, I really want to thank you again for calling in from Auckland at these weird hours of the night. And I'm going to turn the show over to you, so we could talk about software as a service, and you could introduce all of your guests.
3: Awesome, thanks, Cindy. It's um, it's great to be here again, albeit at two o'clock in the morning. Um, So first up today, we're going to talk to Alex Chris from Intuit. Intuit's probably an organization of, of of all the of all the people we're talking to today this is one that uh, doesn't really need any introduction but nonetheless Alex if you can give us a bit of a, a brief pricey about um about who you are and, and, and what you guys do.
4: Sure, thanks Ben, Uh and uh thank you all for having me uh this morning. It's great to be on on this show. Uh so my name is Alex Chris, I'm the business leader for the Intuit Partner Platform and uh I'll give you a quick overview of what the platform is. Uh, Many of you are familiar with our Intuit products, uh, Quicken, TurboTax, and QuickBooks. Uh, We've had these products for for quite some time. Uh, Intuit's been around for 25 years. Uh, But most of our customers on these products uh, are desktop customers. We've delivered wonderful desktop software over the years. And as we're looking at uh, software as a service and the cloud uh, and all the advantages that uh, that it can bring to, to consumers and businesses alike to move to
0: uh, to the web,
4: uh, we've started to change our strategy and, and, and figure out how to move our desktop users and our desktop assets to the web. It's what we're calling connected services, because there's an advantage in having these applications work together. So the Intuit Partner Platform is our ability to take Iowa products uh, and – uh, products from third-party developers that we've reached out to, and bring them together into a uh, into a single ecosystem to allow these apps to work together. So I'll give you a, a quick example, which is uh, our QuickBooks, uh, QuickBooks product, allowing you to do financial management uh, of, your, of your business. You have a customer list in there. So that customer list is something that should be accessible if you're using uh, a CRM application to run your sales and if you're using a project management application to run your, your projects, you should also be able to have your customer list there as well. So this is what we mean by connected services, having all the data work together and making a, a single place for for a business to be able to get all of their work done. So
3: it's, it's taking this desktop product and, and, and leveraging parts of it across the web for all intents and purposes. That's right. Okay. Uh, it's, it's really interesting to me. I mean... Um, well, accounting software is something that I follow quite closely, and, and and worldwide there's this sort of three main companies doing accounting software, and, and it seems that um, of of the three, you guys kind of understand most, or <clears> or <throat> are reacting most to the, the potential that the, the web connectedness can bring. And I guess <clears throat> I guess the reason for maybe being a bit reluctant to do that rather than technological. Technological are, are, are often cultural and, and, and business case, and yet you're really leaping at this. I mean, what what internal thoughts are going on on around that?
4: Yeah, so we think that uh, uh, you know, there are a number of, of, of uh, reasons why we're very excited about this. Uh, I think we're focused on on solving customer problems, and we believe that by leveraging the web and leveraging. Uh, these connected services, how these apps can work together, we can actually make a much better experience for the end user and allow them to uh, to solve their problems in an easier way. If you look at our products, we're absolutely focused on ease of use and and adding tremendous value to the to the customer. And by allowing these apps to work together, I think we we can we can solve that. The other piece is we've started to experiment with this a couple of years uh, ago is allowing, uh, as we bring these, these applications to the web, we actually uh, move from, from a, a silo where you have a, your application on the desktop and you're just solving your, uh, your business need to actually creating a community and connecting our, our customers together with each other. We, we tested this a couple of years ago in our TurboTax product where we actually put a, a live community within the product. So on every single page as you were going through your, and filling out your taxes, you you saw uh, a widget over on the the right-hand side of the screen where if you had a question about your taxes or there was a term on a page, uh, you could instantly, within the product, type in your question, and everyone else that was uh, going through the the TurboTax product could see that question, and if they knew the answer, they could answer the question, and you had this vibrant community happening. We saw uh, two things happen. One, our support costs went down, which was wonderful, but more importantly, our net promoter this customer satisfaction numbers, went through the roof. And customers felt empowered to actually help each other. This past year in QuickBooks, we put the exact same widget in and saw the same results. So we believe that, again, going towards making things easier and adding value, if we can allow uh, our customers to be able to create communities and talk to each other, uh, uh, it's it's a big advantage for us as a company as well as for our, our customers.
3: I mean, I guess that's really important. I mean, they're, they're, most of the, the listenership to the show are going to be business people or people that are looking at being in business. And so for them, it's really about what can this move do for me in terms of value? you know? And, and, and those are the questions that they're going to ask. And, and I guess with that connectedness comes things like um, the ability to have other people have a view over over your information, you know, be your financial advisor or your partners or board of directors or or what or what have you, or things like the the ability to to, to leverage the knowledge of community in ways that you've talked about, but even other ways, I guess, things like like say benchmarking of financial data or or, or data or or things like that. And what you know, what other possibilities without giving away your. Uh, your business secrets, what other possibilities do you see around this?
4: I think you're hitting on something key, which is uh, the, the advantage of the web. You know, this, at, at the end of the day, this is still just software, right? We're still just trying to solve problems. But you as a business user should be expecting more from your software as we move to the web. So you should be expecting um, uh, being able, uh, businesses and, and software providers, to be able to take this data, take some of the rich information that you're able to provide them, and then give you uh, a very clear analysis of how your business is running and how you could potentially save money and, and create more, more opportunities for your
5: business as well. And
4: uh, those are some of the products we're focused on, and we're reaching out to other developers. So we know that as a company, we're not gonna be able to solve every problem that a small business has. But we do believe that your applications, the ones that we're solving, should work with all the other applications that so we've reached out to other, other software providers and, and have invited them to join our ecosystem. And our, uh, the website that we have is uh, marketplace.intuit.com, where you can find all, the, all of our offerings and our third-party offerings. And, again, these offerings work together. So when you come in, again, you should expect that wh- whether you're using a piece of software f- to run your sales team or a piece of software to run your finance. Together and should be helping you both save money and figure out how to actually grow your business in, in, uh, in uh, you know, these economic times, which are, are certainly challenging.
3: And, and I guess um, the the strategy that you guys have can can be described as as allowing the web to to um, to augment what happens on the desktop. Do you see that as, as an end game, and that, that there's still going to be desktop software that's just kind of connected to the web? Or do you see an eventual move to everything being on the web in the clouds?
4: Yeah, I think it's our responsibility as as software providers to make uh, make that move seem seamless. Uh, there, uh, and, and we're seeing offerings right now uh, that are um, that are actually straddling both. So, for example,
0: uh, uh, offerings leveraging
4: things like Adobe Air, where you have this desktop piece of software that you actually install, but it's connected. It's moving the data back and forth between the web and the cloud and, uh, and your desktop. Um, but, but at the end of the day, I don't, I don't think uh, uh, a business person cares whether they're opening up their application in a browser or opening it up uh, on their desktop. I think they just want it to work, and they want it to work very well, and they want it to solve their problems. And it's our responsibility to make sure that you know, moving to the web doesn't mean that you're losing functionality, or you're losing security, or you're losing anything from that desktop app. It should absolutely be incremental value. Uh, and that's uh, you know, we we believe the promise is there. We believe if if we can move that data uh, to the cloud, if, that we can create uh, far superior applications, and that's uh, that's what we're
3: focused on. So I, I guess you're saying that there, there could be a time in the future where the whole of the, for example, the, the QuickBooks application was was in the clouds, but that that move would would seem seamless to the to the customer, and they wouldn't even notice. We
4: have, we have an online product now. We have QuickBooks Online, uh, yep. which is a completely SaaS-based uh, offering. So, you know, it's, it's entirely run in a browser. Um, but, again, I think, uh, you know, we, we need to be able to make sure that, that what, whatever product we run, whether it's QuickBooks Online or our TurboTax Online product or any of the products uh, at our marketplace uh, that are run in the browser, that they're still providing the right functionality and actually providing even better functionality than you would find from a desktop product.
3: Okay. Um, this is a good time to, to to bring in our second speaker, Alex, while you're still on the line. Um, we've got Pam Matthews from Rackspace on the line. Um, Pat, could you give us a bit of a brief intro into what um, you, Rackspace, do? Because you're, I guess, a little bit less, less well-known than into it.
5: Yeah, sure thing, Ben, and, and thanks for having me. So I am the uh, co-founder and general manager of the email and applications division at Rackspace. And to give you a little background on Rackspace, so Rackspace is a 10-year-old company. We are the world's leader in hosting. And so for for many years, for 10 years now, we've been uh, been doing server hosting. We've got eight data centers worldwide, and and we host all kinds of mission-critical applications for businesses all over the world. For the past several years, we've also been uh, aggressively moving into cloud hosting, as well as email and application hosting, and we have done uh, the, the latter two via organic growth as as well as acquisition of some specialty companies in, in both of those markets. And uh, t- so in, in my group, for example, we now host uh, 1.2 million email accounts for for, for businesses. So at Rackspace, that's that's one thing that that makes us very different versus a lot of uh, a lot of our competitors and, and companies that you may well know that are in a similar space is that we're one hundred percent focused on businesses. And uh, you know that that's that's uh, that's what our company looks like today.
2: I will listen, guys, we do have to take a commercial break after this brief intro of Pat Matthews from Rackspace. Alex, I really want to thank you for joining us at the top of the show. Thank you so much, and you can come back anytime. And after this commercial, we'll have more from Rackspace and more with Keeps in the Clouds on Stars of PR 2.0.
6: When you think about change in your life, do you think about yourself? How does that translate to growth in your business? The change we want to see in our business starts with ourselves as leaders and the impact we can make. Join host Linnea Hagen on a terrific journey that takes you from motivation to inspiration. Every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time, listen for Abundance Leadership right here on the Voice America Business Network. Abundance Leadership. Grow your business. Grow yourself.
0: and pundit Michael DeMarco. You don't know what's coming next. The biggest radio show in the world on Voice America. Stimulating talk
6: gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. all the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: Icon! Oh Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in at 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show, here's Cindy Rakowitz.
2: We're back with Stars of PR 2.0, and I like to call this special Keeps in the Clouds because we have um, 2.0 evangelist Ben Keeps, cloud evangelist, SaaS evangelist, and he's teaching the world but it's okay to use these desktop applications, and joining us in the second segment, we have Pat Matthews from Rackspace, and he introduced himself in the last segment. But why don't you talk again, Pat, about Rack-, what Rackspace is for those listeners that just joined us, and then it's over to you, Ben.
5: Sure thing. So, uh, Rackspace is the world's leader in hosting, and, and so we have three lines of business at Rackspace. We do server hosting, we do cloud hosting. And we do email and application hosting. Uh, in, in terms of the email and application group, which is the group that I represent today, uh, we host 1.2 million business email accounts for companies and organizations all over the world. Uh, we do leverage both the cloud as, as well as traditional servers in order to provide the, the services that we offer our customers. And you know that's 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 what we look like today. I mean, 1.2
3: million people. That's a that's that's a bunch of email addresses. Um, there's there's some real scale required in that, and I guess most of our listeners who aren't technologists. That's that's a reasonably mind mind blowing number.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to note too that those are all paid email accounts. So you know, one of the things that you know a lot of times companies will compare us to Gmail and Hotmail and and some other companies that that host email on the web or in the cloud. And, you know, that's just one distinction that i like to make is, you know, our customer base is filled with power users and business users who rely on email every day for their business communication.
3: And it's, it's interesting talking to you compared to, say, Alex, Chris, who we talked to earlier from Intuit, because Intuit's a company that that's, that's very much a traditional software company, desktop software, that's that's seeing the web as, as being important and moving into that. Whereas you guys, you know, everything you do, as far as I understand, is is... Is online is, is is hosted, and so you've got a different kind of staffing paradigm. Is that is that a fair comment? I,
5: I think it's I think it's a fair comment. I think there's one twist to that Ben, and that twist is that we host everything on the web. However, we make all of the data that is hosted on the web accessible in via you know, many different methods. So, for example, a lot of our customers. Although we provide a web-based interface to to our email accounts, a lot of our customers use Microsoft Outlook, which is a desktop application to to you know check and send emails or or what have you. So you know we also see sort of a blend when it comes to desktop versus cloud applications, um, and, and I think that we're going to see that for some time. I mean, you know, our main value proposition that we bring to our customers is that they no longer have to manage complex software applications. We take those complex software applications, like like our email platform, or we also host Microsoft Exchange, which I would argue is one of the most complex yet most powerful software applications in the world. And and so we take these really complex software applications and we turn them into really easy-to-use services. And, And part of our value proposition is allowing customers to access their email or their data in any, just about any method they want. Like I said, Microsoft Outlook, but also you know iPhones and mo- you know mobile devices like BlackBerry are very popular these days, and, and so uh, you know that's an important part of our business as well.
3: Okay, and so so your your mail offering, for example, is, is available over any of those different platforms. Yes, absolutely. Cool. And uh, I guess um you know given that the the people listening to this are, are business people and not technologists, there's going to be some concerns around there out there around um, the whole security and, and and privacy issues. you know what what answers do you have to those people?
5: Well, so a few answers no, number one, you know, I think that security is is a concern, whether you are hosting your email or important applications on your own or whether you're moving to a vendor in the cloud. And so one thing that I would say, one overarching thing that I I would say is that, you know, we we are really specialists at what we do. And so we've got a security team. We've got all kinds of engineers and and people on staff that are focused on delivering secure applications over the web. And so I think that, you know, I think it's always going to be a question. It's not the easiest one to answer. But I think that what every business needs to do is they need to, they need to talk to their vendors. They need to, they need to ask the security question. They need to talk to the, the technical people within a vendor like, like our company and really understand how, how we view security. And, but I think what most businesses are going to find is that vendors that are really specializing on, on hosting cloud applications or just hosting in general, they're going to find that, that companies like us actually pay a lot of attention to security. I mean it, this is our business, this is all we do, and so it's got to be secure, it's got to be reliable and in terms of privacy, I think that's a really good one too and, and there are all kinds of different vendors out there, so it, it's an important question to ask.
2: Pat, you know, I have in... a question. I'm going to okay. interject as you know as a consumer that is using all of these new applications you deal Rackspace deals directly with the customer Yes
5: Yes, correct.
2: Okay, so in terms of customer service, um, you know, are are you billing extra hours for customer service and concerns, or how how does the pricing model work from the consumer side?
5: Sure, so it uh, sounds like a couple of questions there, so let me take them one by one. So number one, we do deal directly with our customers and in fact that is really one of the most important pieces of our business because while behind the scenes we are a, you know, technology and a software company, uh, really we view ourselves as a service company and so we've got a service layer on top of the technology applications that we provide customers. We call that service layer fanatical support. We actually see that as one of the biggest differentiators that we have over our competitors in the market. And so the way that we charge our customers for the, the hosting or software applications that we provide them is, is we do it on a per-unit basis. So in the, in the hosting, in the server hosting side of our business, we charge a monthly hosting fee. In the email and application side of the business, we charge a a monthly email account fee, and then fanatical support comes with that fee that you pay us on a monthly basis.
2: Okay, so if a customer, you know, has, is a little techno pardon my expression, I don't mean to insult somebody, or technologically challenged might be more politically correct,
5: <laughs>
2: you would, um, you know, you would have a customer service rep stay on the phone with that person without extra charge as long as they are paying their monthly fees.
5: Yeah, absolutely, and I'll give you a good example of that, too. So in our email hosting business, for example, what one of the, you know, one of the interesting pieces of our business is that moving from your in-house server
8: Sinclair,
5: to our hosted uh, mail application, Th- there there are a couple of things you have to do. You have to do some technical things like change your MX records and reconfigure your Microsoft Outlook and potentially migrate some of your data from the in-house server to, to our hosted platform. And so we've actually got a dedicated transition team that helps you do that every step of the way. And so you know we realize that technology is intimidating and that it can be complicated and complex. And so... We see our role as, as making the technology as simple and easy to use as possible, and we see a big part of that as, as human intervention and, and really helping walk our customers through it. Whether they're technical or not, it doesn't really matter. I mean, if they have a question, we're here to help.
3: I guess that, I mean, that's quite an interesting point, um, you know, looking at that sort of pain of conversion. You know, if we're talking about something like your your email product, that you know, how much is involved for a user? And then Sinclair Schuler.
2: Thank you, Sinclair. Please stand by, and we're going to get to you in the next segment. I'm sorry. Stand by. Stay on the line, Sinclair, and carry on, Ben.
3: So, so ben, how much work is it for someone, Pat?
5: So, you know, it actually depends on on the environment you're coming from, and the, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of variables that can be involved. So, for example, if a customer with 10 or 15 mailboxes is moving over to our platform and they don't have a lot of data that they want to move over, then it's actually a very simple process. If it's a larger company with a lot more data, then it's still a simple process, but we just got to collaborate a little bit and work together to to move that data from the in-house platform to the the hosted platform that we offer. So, uh, overall, it's, it's not difficult. Take, there, there is a little bit of collaboration involved between uh, the two companies, and uh, but you know this, this is this is what we do, and, and we're experts at this, and we're doing it every day. So you know, like I said, we try to take an intimidating process and make it really easy for our customers.
3: Okay, I mean, I guess you know we we come up against the the, the same old thing, which is that a lot of people say, "Oh, it's just too hard." You know, shifting from from anything to Sinclair Schuler,
5: too hard. Yeah, how do you how do you
3: answer those people?
5: So how do we answer people that say that just moving is too hard? Yeah, is that what you said. Well, so I, look, I think it's actually a great question, and we typically are not talking to a, a lot of a lot of people that. With that type of mindset, what we what we really do is we are we end up talking to a lot of people every day and acquiring a lot of customers because of the pain points that they're experiencing and and by hosting their applications on their own and so those pain points typically drive people to want to outsource already and to want to partner with a company like ours and so you know most of the time we're we're dealing with. Uh, customers or prospects all day long that those pain points are so great that they're ready to make the move and they just want to know what they have to do in, in order to make it. And so there again, you know, we just try to make it as easy as, as easy and, and as seamless as possible for them to move to our platform. But this is a, what I would consider a very pain driven in, industry where, you know, the, the pains that, that IT managers worldwide are really feeling in hosting their own email and, and applications.
2: Well, listen, we have to wrap up now with this segment, and I want to thank you, Pat, for joining us and giving us the in-depth explanations. I think that you make a very consumer-friendly case in explaining how all of these hosting services and software applications, web-based and, um, you know, clouds work. And um, Ben, stand by. And I think Sinclair is patiently waiting from Apprenda, and after this commercial break, we'll have Ben turn it right over to Sinclair. Stand by.
6: the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
1: Oh, my con. Get free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 866-472-5788. Let's get back to stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz.
2: We're back with our SAAS special. We're back with Ben Keeps as the host. And Ben, I'm going to turn it over to you to introduce your next guest.
3: Thanks, Cindy. Sinclair um, Schiller from Apprenda. I'd like to give you a few minutes just to just give us a brief preview about what, what you are and what your, uh, what your business does. Sure.
8: Uh, first, thanks for having me on the show. I'd be happy to give you an overview and make sure that we, we definitely identify where we fit in the space. But, uh, Apprenda is a cloud computing company that focuses on providing a platform that simplifies the process of building software as a service applications, delivering those applications to end customers, and building commercialization structure around the applications. Uh, really when you look at it, it's, it's a business in a box concept where a traditional ISV or even a new ISV that is building brand new business software can focus on the important parts of their software and leverage the technology we've built, so that they can sassify it, if you will, without putting in the overhead and effort required to build a modern software as a service application.
3: So, I guess you're in an interesting space, and in that you see companies. You know, earlier we talked to to Alex, Chris from from Intuit. You see companies not Intuit themselves, but companies like Intuit that are that are kind of dealing with the struggles involved in, 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 in migrating from, from desktop to, to the clouds, um, And then, yeah, that must be quite interesting to, to, to hear those, those conversations.
8: Now, they definitely are because a lot of the conversations are very valid. There are quite a few difficulties in making that transition, and they fall into two camps, really, if you look at the, the problem space. The problems generally start to materialize on the technical end of things but quickly start to show their face on the business and operational parts of a business and that's a difficult transition for most people. Understanding how do I how do I switch gears here and move from this desktop-oriented business model and technical model to a cloud-oriented business model and technical model.
3: I think I mean it's interesting because most of the, most of the listeners to the show are are users, are, are business people, and so for them, you know, the technical issues are are kind of secondary. Um, you know, it's more trying to get a handle on on the potential and what, what a move to to, to being in the clouds can actually bring to them. You know, what sort of nice, nice stories have you got around around extra value that, that being in the clouds can bring? Well I think if uh,
8: you boil it down, the essence of a cloud-oriented business model focuses on a revenue stream that tends to be uh, less feast or famine and more oriented around stability. Uh, but with that comes a variety of problems and that's where the that's where the hiccup is in making that transition. But in terms of raw value, that really is one of the key propositions. If you look at the software space in general and traditionally, it's been focused on a very discrete or lumpy revenue model where you would have licensed sales and you might have a thirty dollars or $40,000 contract and a bunch of customers buying these contracts with some sort of yearly maintenance and support fee, but if something didn't come through, it would jeopardize short-term cash flow and short-term revenue, and that would always be a situation that somebody didn't want to be in, obviously. Uh, moving to a cloud model, you don't really have that because the idea is that everything becomes a utility, very much like you pay for electric in, say, your business. Everybody's familiar with the model; they utilize it right now in a variety of other facets. But the proposition is that they should be selling what they uh, what they offer in that utility fashion, as opposed to a traditional license fashion with that lumpy revenue. And their customers would pay them very much like they pay for electricity; they would pay some sort of recurring fee or transactional fee around the usage of a cloud-based offering. So you move from a lumpy, potentially unreliable revenue and cash flow model to one where you have a reliable aspect to how that revenue is both generated and collected. And that's a, that's a huge amount of value. I and mean, when you see it even in the stock market right now. There, there are premiums associated with having that type of revenue stream versus something that's a little less predictable.
3: So I guess for, for an end user of the software, uh, you know, they're saying, well, I've, I've, got, I've got a desktop product already, you know, I've got... Microsoft Office, for want of a better example, you know, I've got it installed. You know, what reason is there for me to to use to a cloud product? And then those kind of those kind of cost issues aren't an issue for them because they've already got an installed product. So, so where are you sort of evangelising people and saying that the value the value lies in these cloud apps?
8: I think the biggest value lies uh, in terms of consuming cloud applications, not so much on the cost aspect. There is a, there's something to be said for it if you haven't already made a, an investment in, as you proposed, a say Microsoft Word or something of that degree that's installed on your desktop. But the value lies in a variety of other aspects. Think of the untethered approach to communications and using the software. Normally, you're fixed to the model that you're using. So if you're using, for example, Word or some word processor on your desktop machine, the scope in which you can work tends to be your desktop machine moving to the cloud is much more in tune with the way people work nowadays. Uh, Somebody might be flying from, say, New Zealand to the U.S. to Europe and could be accessing a variety of different uh, pieces of hardware where they'd like to get access to their data and to their work. And the cloud model essentially untethers them because they're not relying on a single piece of software tied to their desktop. Instead, they're accessing a word processor online and all their data and documents is available to them online. So you have that, that uh, ubiquitous access piece to the software functionality, which should be a huge driver for people, particularly if, they, uh, if, they, if it fits a particular lifestyle or business style that they're used to. And then second is uh, the collaboration aspect of cloud-oriented software. We're not really in a world where we work in isolation, right? I, I can't remember the last time where I worked on something and it was entirely me and nobody else was involved. Instead, it's more around this idea that multiple parties participate in accomplishing some common goal. And cloud software offers the end user of that software the ability to incorporate multiple parties on some sort of workload or work item, really uh, being more in tune with how people actually function in the real world and not this uh, this alternate universe where supposedly you're going to work on everything on your own.
3: I mean, those are some two pretty compelling, compelling use cases, I guess. So, Do you see that the future is all going to be in the cloud and that we'll see an end to this? To, to desktop software for most things?
8: You know, I think a majority of it is going to be in the cloud. If you look at, uh, it's, it's a really dissection of what software looks like. A lot of software, the horizontal software especially, things like word processing, or that have uh, ubiquity across multiple industries, they generally don't have any sort of significant requirements that would need a desktop counterpart or to exist solely on the desktop. In some cases, some software has a certain level of complexity or uh, we'll call it number crunching requirements that it might need to live on a desktop for now because we don't have the bandwidth and processing needs to really achieve it. Think of something like CAD rendering. If uh, you're a partner at a civil engineering firm and you design bridges for a living, there's a potential in the future to have CAD online in the cloud. And my personal opinion is that we will see that in the future, potentially in the near future. But uh, short-term right now, there is a distinction. A lot of those types of applications that are very heavy and thick in nature still need to reside on the desktop until technology catches up and, uh, and provides pace behind the, uh, the movement of the cloud. Okay.
3: So, so you say it, um, it won't happen overnight, but it will happen?
8: Yeah, I, I honestly don't see a way around it. I think that once people get a taste of using software in the cloud in the more basic functions like the word processing or uh, spreadsheet-type applications, They'll start to wonder why is it that these specialized or niche applications that I use aren't in the cloud, and that'll generally uh, start putting pressure on companies to figure out ways to deliver that sort of capability or technology via the cloud.
3: Um, I'm seeing quite an interesting thing now with um, you know a, a lot more um, people seem to be getting you know netbooks, which are you know very small, quite low powered laptops, which are which are pretty much designed to use to use on, online applications, and it's quite an interesting thing because. You know, until now, we've always seen hardware as quite a a major component, but we're getting to the point where where the hardware is is free or cheap, and it's all about paying for the service. and And we're really flipping that use case on its head. Are you, are you seeing similar things happening there? Yeah, no, definitely. I
8: mean, it's, it's not a unique model, to be honest. You can look at the cell phone business uh, and, the, and the mobile phone business for that model, right? The, generally, the service itself subsidizes the cost of the hardware to access that service because the real money is in the service. And, uh, and it's also an advantage for the consumer. If I go to buy a new cell phone, I'm not spending necessarily oodles of money to acquire that cell phone because I'm interested in the service as well. So it gives the producer of that service and the consumer of that service a common, a common ground they agree on that the service is what's most important. The same thing is happening in the computing space with the netbooks. And to a degree, uh, an 80-20 rule basically is, is applying here. 8% of the functionality that people will need right now even can be delivered online. Uh, most of the basic business functions or consumer functions can be delivered online. So you do start to see a movement in netbooks. The suppliers are producing them. People are starting to buy them. And there seems to be a very significant trend in that direction. And it, it makes total sense just given how this is all evolving.
3: It's quite interesting because I think um, you know we've had we've had computers obviously for a, for a number of decades now, and and there's always been this promise of what they can do, and it seems like like mobile phones have have kind of been introduced more recently, but have have flipped to that sort of utility model much quicker, and so it's, it's quite interesting that only now is are uh, computers. I mean, obviously the line between computers and and, and mobile phones. Bob Green. Right. Now computers are sort of Joining that same model where it's not, about, it's not about the hardware. It's not about the box. It's about what you can do with the box and, and, and pay,
8: pay for that. Correct. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look at the cell phone business, that's happened for quite some time now. It's just been the de facto model, and it's most likely because and it's a very specialized function and a very specialized service. When you look at a computer, we're talking about a very broad base of services and capabilities that need to be supported. So it's almost an abstraction of this concrete example of mobile phones, and the netbook is that representation, and it is catching up, so to speak, from a model perspective to mobile phones. But rightfully so, because it is a little more complicated. If you have 10 or 15 different providers offering 10 or 15 types of software on a computer that's a little harder to reconcile than a single-purpose device like a cell phone. And, in fact, we're seeing, uh, we're seeing kind of two different arenas. The mobile phone market is catching up as well, and that it's all starting to become one seamless mesh of things. I can access everything from email to even word processing capability through my cell phone's browser, and to me, it might as well be a computer. So it's no longer that single purpose. Instead, it's more of a, of a merger of devices and
9: concepts.
2: Well, listen, guys, we have to – it's time to end this segment, sadly. <laughs> um, so I want to thank you, Sinclair, for joining us on this segment. You were very, very helpful in explaining to our listeners more about you know the clouds and we appreciate that so if everybody could just stand by for our last segment of keeps in the clouds on stars of PR 2.0 we'll have Robert Green from Singer Lilac with us in the next and last segment so stand by
6: talk 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 that's all we do is talk yeah.
1: Voice America's Sports Network.
6: Are you ready to go Green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station.
1: Voiceamerica.com Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards then she can hang on her wall, including three Cleos. Call in now at one eight six six four seven two fifty seven eighty eight, and you can have one. Okay, maybe not, but she will answer your questions. Back to Stars of PR with Cindy R.
2: Stars of PR 2.0 because we have been keeps, keeps in the clouds to keep everybody apprised of what's available to you virtually as tools. And I'm going to turn over the last segment to you, Ben, and it's a pleasure to introduce my friend and business colleague, Bob Green, from Singer-Lewak, and now I'm going to just turn it over to you, Ben.
3: Thanks, Cindy, and uh, welcome to the show, Bob. Thank you. I'd like you just just briefly to give us a bit of an intro into what Singer-Lewak does and and, and, um, where you come from on this discussion. Sure, appreciate that, and thank you
9: again, Cindy. Um, just for reference, I'm both a CPA and a technologist, and uh, <clears throat> I'm a partner with Singer Lewak. We are a CPA and a consulting firm based in the L.A. area, about 250 people in offices throughout California. We serve middle market, and <clears throat> both private and public companies, and um, one of the aspects that's important to us in our practice is to provide uh, what we call enterprise, enterprise risk management services. And that includes technology advisory services that that, uh, I oversee, which includes kind of an outsourced CIO and CTO expertise. And we work with CFOs and CEOs of mid-market companies to provide direction uh, and also help them with their IT governance, their risk management, and their compliance. What's interesting, though, is uh, this this area is one where we've stepped out uh, and and done some thought leadership on this topic because it's uh, it's an area that we see as very important, very vital. Certainly, the prior guests have gone into that as well this morning. Uh, But it's vital that that the mid-market and smaller companies in this this country have a chance to take advantage of some of the opportunities that SaaS provides and that the cloud provides. And, uh, you know, the risks seem to be mitigated more and more these days, so we're starting to make sure people are aware of them.
3: Okay. It's interesting. Someone that I I talked to that's that's in the accounting field, um, they sort of class software as a service as as, as in this field, giving giving small businesses the ability to get hold of 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 a virtual CFO, do you see that that kind of line happening?
9: Is it virtual CFO? It could be. Um, I, I don't know. I see the the whole status thing as an opportunity for people to just let them let let, let them, particularly in smaller markets, uh, focus on uh, you know running their business at their their core business is, as opposed to worrying about other things like they typically do. Um, I mean, it's changed the face of the accounting practice certainly, and it continue to it will continue to do so. Um, in fact, CPA firms are now being offered a couple different options uh, by by several different. Uh, accounting providers of SaaS products um, to allow them to manage their their client activities uh, over the line for the client without the client ever having to do a whole heck of a
3: lot, much less host anything. Okay. So you're actually seeing some some on-the-ground benefits out of the um, the migrations that you've done?
9: Yeah. In fact, we're seeing people do things. uh, I mean, the Rackspace example earlier was a very good one. Um, we've had clients that have said, you know, they really just do not want to continue to spend money on, on IT folks, and, and we can actually reduce headcount, uh, create more efficiency, and actually build in better disaster preparedness and other things by, you know, changing the way that they do business over the web as opposed to uh, hosting everything in-house. Um, and one other thing to point out is, we're actually seeing these, uh, the CFO come to us who used to be f- more fearful and say, "You know, I think it may be time for me to jump into this and, and you know tell us more about it, and also tell me how the risks can be
3: mitigated if there are you know risks to be mitigated." Okay. So uh, most of the listeners to this show are actually going to be in business users, and and they've sort of um, metaphorically and and, uh, and realistically they've got their heads in the clouds after forty minutes or so, <laughs> and I guess. So then, they're looking for some for some some use cases and some examples of of, of how this stuff can actually help. Yeah. Have you got any nice nice stories to, to, to demonstrate that? Yeah, we
9: do. I mean, it actually comes from a, you know a market demand. Really, um, it's it's pretty common that we work in uh, the field of providing software selection services, and um, it's become a, a reality that people are saying now. And, and and we do have examples where clients have said, you know really want to move up from QuickBooks or I want to move up from one of the middle market uh, accounting products, and I want to move into a situation where I, I do look at the cloud, and, and in certain cases, they haven't chosen the cloud offering, but it, it, it got close, but it was chosen less, their, their result was chosen less from a standpoint of technology than it was functionality. In those cases, though, where the functionality on a SaaS, on a SaaS accounting or ERP offering is available, um, these options are being taken, and uh, people are very comfortable with them.
2: I'm wondering uh, so, if, you uh, plan, I Bob, if you could speak a little bit louder throughout the rest of the show. It would be great. Carry you on. Bet.
3: You bet. Thank you. So so <clears throat> the issues you're seeing now, other, other than concerns around security and those sorts of things, are more with the, the, the SaaS products not being yet mature and not having sufficient functionality. Yeah, and it's
9: interesting. Um, you know, there are several product offerings, and, and Ben, I think you addressed one a little bit earlier on the show. Um, yeah, I mean, you said something about there's some accounting products. The ones that we see the most out there are, are uh, a new one by SAP called By Design. We see uh, Intact, and we also see, uh, well, a couple others that are that are kind of cropping up. But the reality, that, and I think there's also certainly NetSuite, um, there's, what we're seeing is that the functionality in each of those, they have different emphases and different, different aspects of, um, you know, real power versus in the areas where they're not very powerful. So it's not that they're not, as a whole, providing functionality. I think it's just a matter of, you know are they going to continue to mature in functionality so they can handle different industries a little bit deeper than they may
3: already do okay so so my my focus i mean my background is is, is more the micro business as opposed to a small and medium business and um you know it seems there that the, the story is even more compelling um you know i i review um SaaS accounting products um a lot and I, there's probably a 20 or twenty or thirty that i've reviewed yeah and and the level is, is so much greater because, you know, micro-businesses are all of a sudden getting to use this functionality um, that before beforehand just wasn't available to them, it's sort of business analytics type things. Yeah,
9: desktop, right, exactly,
3: exactly, metrics and things. Do you, I mean, do you deal with that, that sort of marketplace where you're more than medium level? Well, our marketplace is going to
9: be more of a, probably a little bit above the micro uh, because we're looking at people that are looking to invest. Uh, anywhere from, you know, $100,000 to $500,000 typically on a, on an implementation of accounting software. Um, and they're looking to basically cut that way down if they can remove the, the hardware purchase part and the, the IT staff management part and, and certainly
3: some of the risks and the disaster preparedness part. That's where SaaS comes in. So, so I guess, I mean, it's a question that I've asked everyone this morning. You know, how much do you see going, going online, going, going to the clouds, Given time, you know, do you see everything is going to be delivered that way, or, or just parts of the, of the puzzle? I
9: think I agree with our, our panelists this morning in that I, I think it's all going going that way. Uh, not not everything, um, and I, I'm sure we've all been to some of these conferences where you have a company who's got so much intellectual property that they can't put certain parts of their business in the cloud because they're just not comfortable. And I'm not sure how we're going to get over that, at least in the near term. But, uh, you know, if I'm a fiduciary, whether I'm a CFO or a CEO of a company of any size, I mean, I think that's one of the things I do want to concern myself with. But, you know, barring that, you know, I think we have to move forward and realize that, you know, with all the assurances provided now in SaaS offering, uh, by by SaaS offering publishers, there is less and less risk of people actually having access to your data when it's in the cloud as opposed to uh, certainly the micro and small markets where your data may be more accessible in your
3: business than it is in the cloud. It's interesting. Something, something that I'm seeing is that, um, you know, especially as I say in the smaller end, is that businesses want to change. You know, want to move to SaaS, but they will have a situation where their professional advisor, be it accountant or lawyer, is really risk averse and um, is happy just sort of fulfilling that compliance role and keeping them on a on a traditional product. Right. You know, it's really interesting talking to you, who's obviously um, you know within that um, state and traditional market, but is, is doing it differently. <laughs>
9: Well, you know something. I appreciate that, Ben. The, the problem that we see out there is ignorance, right? I'm sure you, it drives you crazy too. Uh, what, what we feel like is that, that a lot of professionals who don't really understand uh, the, the true nature of us, particularly as you'd mentioned, micro and smaller business technology. You know, it is so much more common for people's servers and and their data to be accessible by anybody within their business, with a, with with a you know without any effort, or even those outside their business without a lot of effort that these SaaS models can truly provide that level of security that, that they don't have and it probably increases their their security
2: multiple fold. Well, listen ever... guys, we have come to the end of the segment and I'm really sorry. And I think Bob we have to invite you back on so <laughs> that Ben Keeps can talk to you, Bob Green, singer Leewack, about, you know, the growing larger cap company audience um, because it's something that is probably new to a lot of the journalists out there that are covering the entrepreneurs. So why don't we just say that this was a great show. I want to thank you, Ben Keeps, Cloud Evangelist, Cloud Avenue, and I want to thank you, Bob, and we'll do this again real soon. Thank you so much, and I want everybody to keep Stazzy, or S-A-A-S-Y. Thank you, Thanks Cindy. Thank you again, and have a great day.
0: Thank you. Thank you.